sort of person who's excited by like having I don't know clamps put on your nipples while a Japanese woman drips hot wax from a candle onto your face, you might find this division <laughs> exciting. The AFC South. So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. Once again, Connor's gone missing on us, apparently having thing commitments such as family and girlfriend that he needs to attend to that are more important than this podcast. So we're very hurt, but we're going to do our best to uh, muddle on through. This week, you know, we're going to be looking at the playoffs. We're going to be saying who looks like they're going to be in, who looks like they're going to be out, what are the remaining permutations, everything you need to know, and a few things you probably didn't want to know. Then, as usual, we'll be looking at the news, looking at some of the games from last week, and making our predictions for next week's games. So we've got myself, Harry, uh, as usual. I never seem to leave. And we've also got Ronan. Hello. How you doing, man? Uh, going pretty well, you know. Uh, I think we usually skip the section if Connor's not here. Yeah, you know, I know. Connor, Connor's the emotional one of the group, you know. He, he needs support, but uh, he's talk about we're, his all, problems. we're all focused on the game, you know. That's exactly it. That's exactly all it. All about we're... that business, boss. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> all about that action. I you got it wrong, man. Some Seahawks fan you are. Uh, it's been a long day. So I guess we'll uh, we'll get cracking then since we uh, have dispensed of the Connor Kelly memorial section of the podcast where we talk about our feelings and our day and how it went. Get on to looking at the playoffs and uh, where we're at now. We're very close to the end of the season and we're looking at a situation where we have a pretty good idea of who's going. Uh, but some of the races are still quite open and quite interesting. So we're just going to look at it sort of division by division, take it from there. The place we'll start, I think this is probably one of the more interesting ones because it's been up in the air and it's in one of the closest and most competitive divisions throughout the whole season, uh, is the AFC West. The picture is coming into focus a little better now, but there's still three teams in this division that are very, very much alive between the Oakland Raiders, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Denver Broncos. Uh, now, Oakland are, seem to be in the driver's seat at uh, 11-3. Kansas City, though, have the tiebreaker and only a game behind. Denver, of course, have, uh, have dropped off a bit and are now sitting a couple of games behind but with a pretty good... Pretty good uh, chance at a wildcard spot. So we've been saying, I think, pretty much consistently through the season that we could see three teams from this division in the playoffs. Uh, Ronan, do you, do you feel like that's still going to be the case? Denver, I'm not so sure. At this point, you're almost guaranteed to have two teams going through at least. You have the Oakland Raiders, who have been one of the most exciting teams, but who are facing, A, they're facing Indianapolis and Denver in the last two weeks. Obviously, no two gimmies there. But the biggest issue right now is that Derek Carr is playing with a broken finger, He's having to go exclusively from the shotgun. They've already talked about how that's affecting their offense. And for a team whose defense is moved on and has certainly shown a lot of growth over the last month or so, that's still definitely an issue. And on the other hand, you have the crazy Kansas Chiefs who make every game into a crazy game for no good reason. Uh, they had the advantage coming into this week. Uh, they managed to drop a crazy game, as, as we'll talk about later. None of their games make sense. They, they put every game to the last moment and they end up doing crazy things. Uh, they face Denver and San Diego in their final two weeks. Denver are a known quantity, limited in offense, great on defense. And San Diego, you know, even though they're playing for pride and even though they don't have a home crowd, they're a good team. They've played most teams close this season, so you can't, can't count them out. So with Denver, like, we'll see where the wild card stuff takes them. But I think both of these teams are going to the playoffs. But the difference between getting a bye for the first week by finishing the number two seed, and the winner of this division is almost certainly to get the number two seed. That's a massive difference versus being a wild card spot and having to go away from home throughout probably the entire playoffs and obviously having to play an extra game. So everything to play for in this division, but we'll be seeing a lot more of these over January. Despite the respective flaws and things that they do wrong, uh, both of them should definitely make some interesting games happen. Yeah, it's, it's going to be very interesting. As like I say, it's a tough two games um, for both teams. Like You'd think, again, Indianapolis and San Diego are weaker teams, but yeah, their team, Indianapolis seem to be 
fighting very hard at the moment anyway if, if someone in a factory in San Diego yeah the season's dead but this could be you know this could be their last home game in San Diego it probably will be yeah it could be could be a couple of banana skins in there so I think it's going to be interesting to see how it all how that all shakes out and I, you've got to think Oakland like you say have the advantage here and should be able to beat Indianapolis at least but the, obviously the car injury is going to be on cars performance I mean I think we're seeing we're seeing the effect of that on the run game. It's making the run game quite predictable as well, having to run out of a much more limited set of formations. So we'll see what uh, we'll, we'll see how that all how that all shakes out. Moving on up, then AFC North. Now this has been a somewhat of a disappointing division, I think, this season. Cincinnati have been, I think, massively disappointing. Pittsburgh have kind of shown flashes where they look like the best team in the NFL, and then had absolute stinkers in completely random games. Very difficult team to get a draw on. And then you've got the Ravens, who have just been this sort of incredible spoiler team who aren't good enough to like be standing out in this division, but are good enough to basically make everyone else's life difficult. And at this point, it's between Baltimore and Pittsburgh. And, uh, of course, it's the Christmas Day game, right? Yeah, like this is, in the new parlance of our new age, this is a huge game. <laughs> like this is, get your turkey ready or whatever Americans eat on, on Christmas Day instead. You know, I don't know who did the schedule for the NFL, but this was a very good choice. Baltimore have the head-to-head currently. They won the game earlier in the season. So if they win and go and they're on a joint record of uh, nine and six each, obviously that means Baltimore has a huge advantage going into the final week because they have the head-to-head record over them. They'll be playing Cleveland and Cincinnati, respectively. Like Cincinnati have shown a little bit more spirit in the last couple of weeks, but you would still imagine Baltimore should have their number if they're playing for a championship. Like, this is a huge game, and it's between two teams, as you say. Like, Pittsburgh, they're the sexy team. They've got the sexy offense. Le'Veon Bell, over the last, like, since he came back, uh, has been a, a force of nature. The Ben Roethlisberger to Antonio Brown connection. Everyone knows about that. Those are like stars in the NFL. This is a team that's built on this kind of, you know, exciting uh, superstar status. Everyone thinks Pittsburgh, that's a winning team with a winning culture. And Baltimore, on the other hand, you know, even though Baltimore won two Super Bowls, neither of those are teams are like, oh, I definitely going to want, want to watch that Baltimore team. Because this Baltimore team while probably not as good as those Super Bowl teams, is the same. It's a grinder team. It's got a defense which grinds you down and does things to you, and an offense which is sporadic, but when it needs to, can't get stuff done. I think one of the biggest things that we saw last week is that they got the run game going, and if they can get the run game going against Pittsburgh, I think they've always got a shot. Like These two teams have slobber knocker games. This is what we call AFC North football, in inverted commas. It's two teams smashing against each other, and Pittsburgh... Uh, you know, aren't perhaps maybe set up to be like that anymore. But I'm sure in a game like this, Baltimore will pull them down, and that's what Baltimore's done every all season: pulling teams down into the muck and making them play their way. I think the one X factor in this is is, is like is Pittsburgh's defense has really stepped up recently. This this game is the AFC North. Like whoever gets this, gets the third seed, not that important. This is such a huge game. I think Pittsburgh is a sexy team, and if they get if they win this and go to the playoffs. People are going to be talking about the Super Bowl contender. Baltimore won't be, but they're kind of like the New York Giants, you know. Everyone's like, oh, they're not really a Super Bowl team, and then they go and fucking win the Super Bowl. So, you know. <laughs> Fuck you. I think it'll be exciting. It's going to be a huge game on Christmas Day, and either team that gets out of it, even though they've disappointed the season, these are two teams you cannot count out. Yeah, ab- absolutely, absolutely. It's going to be that game, like you said, I think is probably going to settle it, and then there's still a, a chance at a wild card, depending on how things tilt out. Both of them, as you say, have... 
uh, very soft final games against two in-division rivals that have kind of given up on their season, although maybe might have, you know, that's the idea of having the divisional games towards the end of the schedule, like they traditionally do, uh, to try and put a little bite into a week that might otherwise not matter. And um, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how uh, Baltimore are able to deal with Pittsburgh, particularly, I think, something critical there. This is going to sound like slightly weird. It's at, at that Three River Stadium, the wind. The kicking yeah. game. That's that's something I think to keep an real eye on in that game. You don't say that often. Some Justin Tucker analysis coming, is it? Yeah, oh, because Connor's <laughs> not here, you know. We're just going to go We're just going nuts for Justin Tucker. Oh, I love Justin Tucker. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> uh, so then, uh, less excitingly perhaps, although, well, exciting in a certain way if you're into a certain kind of thing. If you're the sort of person who's excited by, like, having, I don't know, clamps put on your nipples while a Japanese woman drips hot wax from a candle onto your face, you might find this division <laughs> exciting. The AFC South, it's... Oh, Jesus Christ. It, it's been a season. Uh, one of these teams has to go to the playoffs. Who's it going to be? That's the real question. It's been tight the whole way through, in fairness, except for Jacksonville, who've just been a car crash. So we, you know, we, we have to talk about Jacksonville later, so we, we'll spare, I think, spare ourselves reminiscing on them for now. This is a competition. It's Houston and Tennessee are tied, I think. Uh, Houston have the head-to-head advantage, and then the Colts are a game back. Then we're looking at a situation where, again, it's a fairly fairly soft finish, again, because they're playing weak in-division teams. I think we're looking at the Houston and Tennessee in Week 17 could, again, be one to decide this decide this division. Uh, Indianapolis have also that game against Oakland, which is probably a bit tougher than the, the, the prior games. This is going to come down to whether or not Houston can actually get anything uh, get anything going now with this new look offense they've been running, which you're quite excited about, right? You're excited. You're living for this. Tom Savage, he's a, he's a living god among men. Like, he comes in and he leads them to victory over the fearsome Jaguars. Like, Jaguars, they're pretty fearsome beasts, right? <laughs> uh, but from a serious sense, the game between Houston and Cincinnati actually isn't that important. If Houston is good at one thing, the Texans will be good at one thing under Bill O'Brien. It's beating their like fellow AFC side teams. Uh, they beat the Tennessee early on in the season. They have an old, like a 5-0 and division, in-division record. So if they win Week 17, even if they've lost Week 16, they will win the division. So Tennessee, they just need, like, Tennessee will probably take care of Jacksonville in Week 16. Houston doesn't really matter. But Indianapolis have to beat the Oakland Raiders, as we've already discussed. I wouldn't be surprised if Indianapolis is officially eliminated by the time uh, we get to Week 17. So then it will all come down to this massive... Uh, I can't get quite as excited as for the Christmas game, but for this very significant Houston at Tennessee tilt. Uh, Indianapolis have Jacksonville, but they probably won't matter. You're going to come down to this Week 17 game, winner takes all, unless Tennessee somehow contrived to lose to Jacksonville. Like, I don't think it's going to be a good game. I think both these teams have massive flaws. I think Tennessee is a team that people are more in favor of, a because you know Tennessee they probably deserve something at this point. You know they have a good they have a good offense. They have Mariota. He's an exciting young quarterback. You probably have the most explosive run game. Well, you probably have the most efficient, most effective run game in the league. It's a tough, exotic, smash mouth team, and I think that gives them a certain flavor that people like, like a certain type of. Well, Houston obviously it's completely different now that Tom Savage has come in. But there is a general sense that, you know, it's Houston. Even with Tom Savage, you don't expect to be interested. I think Tom Savage adds an extra spice. So it was Tom Savage who picked the playoffs, you know, a few weeks ago. And I think we've been saying this for a few weeks in the podcast now. Please don't put Houston in the playoffs. Now that they've actually replaced the Brock Lobster, it mightn't be that bad. But I think Tennessee are a better team. Tennessee are a team that could surprise someone in the playoffs, flip over a good team, especially at home. In the, in the wild card round, but even in a divisional round, I could see them giving you know a Kansas City or an Oakland or a Pittsburgh a game, a tough game. Whereas I think Houston, the offensive issues that they'll probably still have, being it wouldn't be exciting. 
But if Tom Savage continues to feed the ball to Nuke and brings those wide receiver playmakers back in, then we might actually be able to see the Houston the Houston offense that we thought we were going to get at the beginning of the season. Yeah, Indianapolis praying for Christmas or festive miracle, but Houston and Tennessee is almost certainly going to be the deciding game uh, for who wins the AFC South. We were like heads and hands crying that this is going to be worse. It's actually in the last few weeks turning into something which might be a little bit better than we expected. A fun one to see how it all pans out, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, Tom Savage does give some hope. I, I, it was against Jacksonville. He was replacing Brock Osweiler. Maybe we're all just that desperate for yeah, somebody who isn't Brock Osweiler. But um, then uh, I suppose from uh, a division that, you know, we all sort of pretty much rightly written off at this stage to one that there's the Patriots and some teams we've written off. Now, New England have been, I think, pretty much as expected. There's nothing too shocking there. 12-2 and record. Already got uh, got everything tied up pretty much should be able to get the number one seed with games against the uh, completely disorganized New York Jets. And uh, a tougher than expected Miami Dolphins left on the schedule. Now, Miami could still uh, do still have a, a good chance at making the wild card, which has been a great turnaround season for them. They do have that game against New England, obviously, but they're also going to play Buffalo, which is a very, very winnable game for them this week. If they if they win that game, then they'll be sitting at 10-5. and five, And then at that point, you're looking at a team that's pretty much locked up a wild card spot, potentially has, depending on how the results fall uh, in the other games. Since, you know, I think there's no point discussing New England obviously Buffalo and the Jets are gone like Ron, do you think Miami can actually do go more than one game into the playoffs if they get there I think so like I think defense has started to show up that's massive like there's enough talent on that defense that they should be good Cameron Wake uh, like Sue these are good players like they, they've put a lot of investment in you know JHI had a bit of a slide but if they get JHI re-established then I definitely think they have a chance I don't think you could put them as favorite in any playoff game but they're the kind of team that could surprise someone, that could turn over someone uh, on their day. Yeah, so there's a lot of flaws in this team, but I think they have momentum, and there's so much talent on that team, particularly on the defense. Once they're in the playoffs, once it's like, this is a big game, we're in a big game, I could see those players finally going, okay, we're going to show up, we're going to show why we're, we're paid like millions and millions of dollars, and we're going like, to screw up someone's life and make their life miserable. Like I think the AFC West runner-up is almost certainly to go through as the first wild card. Uh, that, that's almost certain. If Miami don't screw up, then the other potential wild card contenders, which is probably whoever loses, whoever runner-up in the AFC North and possibly Denver. Like I think Miami, Miami has it in their hands. There's no reason they can't go to the playoffs. They only have to play Buffalo, and then New England will probably rest in their starters in Week 17. I think Miami is definitely the favorite. In terms of what the playoffs are likely to be, I think you know you're going to have the AFC West runner-up in Miami. Yeah, I think that's that's probably fair. Obviously, Miami, like you say, uh, I don't, I don't, I doubt they're going to go very far. If they somehow did end up playing Houston, uh, you might give them a chance, but uh, that doesn't seem to be doesn't necessarily seem to be a likely outcome given how given how things are, are looking like they'll fall at this stage. Yeah, but I think that defense, if it stepped up, that could take things interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely true. Um, we'll, see, we'll see. Been full of surprises, and we wrote them off earlier in the season, so they could definitely uh, definitely find some extra an extra gear that we didn't know they had, like they did uh, before. So that's the AFC wrapped up, I guess. Then we'll move on to the to the NFC, and then we'll start up with the NFC North, which is a bit messy at the moment. Um, it was looking fairly clear early in the season that this was going to be Minnesota's year, and now everything has changed. Um, Detroit lead the division at nine and five. Uh, they're a game ahead of a suddenly streaking Green Bay Packers, who are eight and six. Minnesota. Still in it, 7-7, but it's not looking great. Uh, the team has been seems to have been a bit of a nosedive, and uh, it's going to be very difficult for them to to pull it out, particularly since they have to go to Green Bay 
this week, which is very much a case for a team in good form against a team in bad form. So even if they do have, theoretically, the easiest uh, final game against Chicago, they could by that point already be uh, dead in terms of winning the division. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, Green Bay and Detroit will play each other in the final week. Potentially that could end up being a game that decides the division. That's another one to watch. Detroit do have to play Dallas next, though, which is why... Uh, this final game could be could be so critical. You think Dallas probably should be able to have Detroit's number at this stage, so that's going to be very 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 interesting. Potentially set up uh, a huge game in Week 17. I guess this is kind of similar to what we were saying before about Houston Tennessee, except I guess the teams are a bit more watchable, right? That's that's going to be the main thing here. You couldn't come up with a streakier division than this. Like Detroit had a poor start to the season. They went on a ridiculous run of winning these fourth quarter comebacks. Sometimes contriving to create these out of nothing, like being far ahead, going behind, then going back ahead in the last moment. Green Bay, who had a massive mid-season slump, looked like absolute trash for like a month there uh, in November, basically when their defensive backs were a little bit out and they didn't have a run game. And Minnesota, who obviously were the last undefeated team and have contrived then to basically become a, a nothing team. Like Minnesota, probably the day could win the division, very much to know. But of course, they have the Green Bay Packers this week. They could definitely act as a spoiler because if Minnesota do manage to beat Green Bay, Detroit will know going into that Dallas game on Monday that if they win, they win the division. That's a huge game. If that hasn't happened, if Green Bay do expect to beat Minnesota, then I think it'll just come down to the last game either way because I think Green Bay beat Detroit early on in the season, so I would have the head-to-head. Probabilistically, coming down to that Week 17 tilt, Green Bay looking super hot, like... You know, Aaron Rodgers should be dead, I assume, at this point. <laughs> Yet it's pulling out in the last couple of seconds against Chicago, like 50-yard bombs on like third and long, uh, even though it's like, oh, just get the first down. No, no, I'm just going to throw 50 yards. You know, it's nothing. Like, I, you know, I'm Aaron Rodgers. And then you, for, for a winning field goal to, to stop going to overtime. Like, that's just the kind of thing that Aaron Rodgers does. That's the kind of thing that you can get away with when Aaron Rodgers is your quarterback. Effectively, what that means is that kind of have to give the advantage to Green Bay just because they have Aaron Rodgers even though Detroit have a game uh, and the other issue of course is that uh, Detroit even though they've won all these games have only done it in the fourth quarter as I mentioned and they're now playing with Matt Stafford having a hand injury uh, it hasn't affected this game perhaps as much as Derek Carr but it is having an effect so even though Green Bay are in the worst situation you kind of feel it's like it's Green Bay it's Aaron Rodgers they're going to do it right like they're going to do it so uh, it's going to be really exciting to watch what happens I think that Week 17 game is, is going to be relevant uh, unless uh, a very unlikely sequence of events happens next week. You know, This is going to be more, probably the most exciting division. I think AFC West uh, is right up there, but I think this is, this is the real action uh, going into the last two weeks. Yeah, it should be, it should be fascinating to see. Of course, Green Bay, uh, as you know, uh, Ronan, they, they never give up uh, leads in the fourth quarter in strange circumstances, right? Yeah, of course not. <laughs> Or, or, you know, they always give up those Hail Marys, you know? That's it. You can ne- they're a team you can never never write off. They do seem to be the form team at this stage. I think we can probably put a fork in Minnesota at this stage um, in terms of winning that division anyway. Obviously, the uh, wild card is a quite a bit messier in the NFC than it is in the in the AFC at the moment. So they definitely have a chance there if they can pull it out. But we'll see. I think it's, it's probably fair to say that this is this is going to be either Green Bay or, or, Detroit's, uh, or Detroit's division at this stage. Then the NFC South... Now, this is interesting. Obviously, this was Atlanta starting the season hot and looking like they were going to run away with it with everyone dropping off before Tampa Bay sort of came out of nowhere. And now, just a game behind. Um, I don't think anyone has the head-to-head advantage there. They've uh, split the series. So that's going to be a straight-up you know, race to, to, to get ahead. Obviously, they're playing their divisional games now. So Atlanta, Carolina, 
Tampa and New Orleans, then it's New Orleans, Atlanta, and Carolina at Tampa Bay. So there's no sort of head-to-head. You'd think that Atlanta can probably win one of those games, right? You'd think that given how they've looked and given how porous the defenses of the other teams have looked, given that Atlanta have, as we're constantly told, the most explosive, uh, highest scoring offense in the league, and they do, they do, in fairness, look like a very, very good team most of the time, that they should be able to, to find a way to do this. Now, the critical thing in this is obviously that because the head-to-head is split, is that it's going to come down to division record, where they are also tied. So basically, even even if Atlanta win one of these games and lose the other, they do still need to win both of them to finish ahead of Tampa Bay. So that's going to set us up with a very exciting finish. Ronan, do you, do you expect that Carolina and New Orleans are going to have that much fight in them, or do we just think that, that Atlanta and Tampa Bay can just probably win out from here and they're going to sit in the same position they are with two more wins? A few weeks ago, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, these are probably you know wins, whatever like that. But then you know, the week we just saw. New Orleans had a crazy game at Arizona, showed that Drew Brees had had a couple of bad weeks. Drew Brees isn't gone, Drew Brees is. Drew Brees, when he's on his game, can beat anyone in the league, especially at home. Like, you know, don't forget New Orleans have beaten teams like the Seahawks at home and played another, like, another team's quite close. Carolina, like, I thought Carolina were dead, and then they went ahead and beat Washington in a very comprehensive manner. So, you know, these are division rivals. Every game, they're like, we can knock these fuckers out. We, like, both Carolina and New Orleans probably believe we should be in the playoffs. We are playoff quality teams. Let's kick some fucking ass and show people that next season we're gonna we're gonna make we're gonna make some noise. So I don't think you can take any of these games for granted. Like both these teams look like they're they're raring for a fight and they're raring to keep going. Carolina are the defending NFC champions. New Orleans are one of the are the most explosive offense, except perhaps Atlanta in the league. I think the fact they're not playing each other means that there's no like singular event. But this is a thing. This is gonna be a tit for tat type of series of games. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. Like, both these teams should win both these games on paper based on their form, but I think based on what we just saw in the last week, you can't take that for granted. So it'll be really interesting to watch these, a series of kind of maybe maybe just below the very top games we'll be watching that week, but ones that we'll be kind of keeping a sneaky eye on. Everything to play for in this division, it, it could very well be that both these teams make the playoffs. It's just a matter of who gets the wild card or not. Yeah, no, absolutely, and you, you think both of them seem to be in, in a pretty good spot at this stage, given given where the other teams are, but again, it, it is messy, there's a lot of potential permutations depending on who wins and, and who loses from here on out. The NFC East is in a fairly similar position, with a little, little more defendiveness now, although the Giants have swept Dallas, uh, Dallas do have a two-game, well, so it's one-and-a-half game lead there. They only need to win one more game, it looks pretty likely, I don't think there's anything that is going to really trip them up there playing Detroit and Philly even if they lose they're still going to be fine they're still going to be in the playoffs um, and then of course the Giants will have to beat, beat Philly and Washington uh, to overtake them but the Giants also at this point pretty close to locking up a, uh, a wild card spot Washington's still technically alive but not uh, not really at the races anymore a bit of, bit of a long shot for them to, to sneak in at this stage especially after the defeat to Carolina this week I don't think there's a huge amount really to say here. I think we've got two teams that have that have done well. Dallas, who have done well in a very flashy fashion. The Giants, who have done well in a much more quiet fashion, a much less impressive fashion, but have still uh, managed to take advantage of the schedule and take advantage of the talent they have and get to where they are. Yeah, um, like in terms of playoff implications, both of them are going to the playoffs unless something catastrophic happens. So I think you can you can punch your ticket. We'll be talking about them all through January. Uh, but the NFC East is pretty boring at this point, unless Washington can pull out a miracle. They really need to win that game against Carolina on Monday. They failed to do that, and now, uh, unless they get really lucky, they're going to be on the outside looking in. But, you know, the one good thing is that they might knock a few million off Kirk Cousins' contract. <laughs> yeah, it certainly wouldn't, wouldn't hurt them uh, at this point. Get them to suck a bit in the last few weeks, maybe just start getting receivers to drop passes, get a few more players ejected for throwing punches, like that, whatever. 
whatever it is they feel like doing these days. Then it's not really any more interesting in the West, is it? Really, Seattle have won the division. Everyone else in that division is terrible. But that's like, pretty much it. There's not much more to say there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no like chance. The only, the only thing, and it kind of it runs through the NFC uh, South and um, NFC North tilts as well, is that. Seahawks have a half a game lead over Detroit and Atlanta for the number two seed, which would obviously give you a bye on the on, on the wild card weekend. And that's pretty big to play for. But Seattle are playing Arizona and San Francisco, playing Arizona at home, and they're playing San Francisco. It doesn't matter where you play San Francisco. <laughs> so if Seattle, if Seattle can take care of the business, they'll have the number two seed. If they don't, then you know maybe we could see Atlanta or Detroit. Probably more likely Atlanta sneak in there and take that. So that's the only real thing of interest for any of the for the Seahawks in the last two weeks yeah, take care of business get the number two seed and obviously they mean so much better at home that could be very significant it could be it could be a home field is obviously very very important for, for a team like Seattle that does have a, obviously that very difficult stadium to come and play in both in yeah. terms of the conditions and in terms of the the crowd and, and team performance it's, it's it's important for them yeah definitely uh, probably more so than you'd say for, for some of the other teams like Seattle have never had to pump fake noise into their stadium because their crowd is <laughs> shit so <laughs> you know it also, definitely be useful uh, Shout out to all the technically alive teams: Buffalo, Carolina, and New Orleans. Go, go, math! Uh, but <laughs> they're dead, but technically alive. So just, just, just shout out to those teams who, who you know, keep the dreams going. I think Carolina actually requires Washington to tie another game to actually get to the playoffs. So good luck. Well, it's been, it's been that kind of season, but yeah, I think that might be might be asking a bit too much. So there you have it. That's the playoff picture. That's where we see the, the the team standing at the moment. It's you know there's a lot of intrigue I think still in there, uh, even in terms of the seeding, like Ronan alluded to, as well as in terms of who gets there. It really is going to shape the postseason. I think that home and away kind of stuff, and what you're looking at in terms of how tough of a matchup are some of these teams going to have in the wild card round. You know, there's a big difference between playing a team like Tennessee and playing a team like Houston. Actually, actually, I'm actually excited. I'm, I'm excited for the playoffs, not just because I'm a New England fan. Everyone else looks terrible. Um, I genuinely think there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of good stuff going on here. There's going to be some teams here that people have written off, that people didn't expect to do, and it's going to be great to keep an eye out and see if any of those are going to be able to make that kind of sneaky run that we wow. see teams do. I mean, Baltimore, New York... Uh, like Fizzle alluded to, uh, indeed explicitly mentioned several times, fuck you, fuck Eli Manning, fuck David Tyree, fuck his stupid fucking helmet. It's never over until it's over, as they say, uh, unless you're the San Francisco 49ers, in which case it's it's over, and it's been over for a while. Or it'll end up being Dallas versus, like, fucking doing the Patriots. Right? Yeah, well, I mean, that'd be, that'd be great. You know, before be we get game. on to the news, of course, we have to talk about the most important permutation, Cleveland versus San Francisco for the number one pick, Cleveland versus San Diego, and at Pittsburgh... San Francisco at LA and Seahawks. I think San Francisco they have a chance of beating LA and losing out on the pick, but uh, you know Cleveland pretty strong favourites, but uh, with, with the one game advantage, you never know. You I, never I, know. I, I just can't <laughs> wait to see what the Rams give Cleveland for that number one pick. <laughs> Somebody's going to make a stupid trade. Yeah, like Deshaun Watson's probably the biggest quarterback this year. Yeah, it's always difficult to tell at this stage. I mean, sure, Jesus, there was a time where people were like, oh yeah, Christian Hackenberg, let's go first-round talent. Now, maybe that was a, a bit long. Geno Smith, you know? Well, to be fair, nobody thought Geno Smith was a first-round talent. I think uh, EJ, EJ Manuel was the only quarterback who went in the first in that draft, if I remember rightly, and that yeah. was that worked out well. Like, Geno well had a really good start that season, or maybe the season before, and anyways, you talked about that. Yeah, no, there's definitely, definitely always a lot that can change even in that period. And, of course, now we're going through the college bowls are being played out and we're getting all the usual faff about, oh, this guy didn't go to the bowl game. 
he doesn't have real hustle or whatever. You, and ignore the guys get injured and then get no money for all of the years. Oh yeah, yeah, but you know, painful work to do. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, but, you know, it's not the American way. I mean, but then again, it's like, oh, Christian McCaffrey doesn't have enough hustle. Like he's a white running back. He's got fucking loads of hustle. That's all he's got. Like Christian McCaffrey to the Patriots in the fifth round. Keep an eye out. You know, it's gonna happen. Yeah, I guess that's pretty much everything in terms of that. So there's a few other bits of news we're just going to whiz through here fairly quickly. I mean, none of them are particularly huge. Uh, none of them have particular playoff implications. Well, except they're just not surprising, I think. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if anything particularly significant. I mean, we'll start off then with Gus Bradley being fired. I don't know. Jacksonville fired another coach who had a terrible record. I don't know if that's significant. A 14 and 48 record. That is actually the worst in the Super Bowl era of any coach with more than 50 games. He does still have his bona fides as a defense coordinator from the time uh, time in Seattle, so you reckon he'll find another job somewhere else, just wasn't suited to head coaching. Shade Khan was very, very patient with him and had a very magnanimous political statement at the end of the tenure, but like realistically, the time is up. Uh, the defeat to Houston was appalling, uh, just inability to put that game to bed. Really, really, really just must have been the straw that broke the camel's back for a coach that's probably already had more than enough rope. Uh, Doug Marone has been hired as the interim head coach, uh, I guess seen as sort of a, a safe pair of hands there. Uh, yeah, as long as he like doesn't get a field of phone call and decide he needs to go to the Buffalo again or something, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he's, yeah. he, he, he's a safe pair in the sense, in the sense that he's probably a decent coach, but not in the sense that you could ever rely on to actually stay in his job. Uh, obviously, uh, just like one thing about Gus Bradley himself, uh, the general sense is that players loved him, he was very popular, like they actually let him go back on the plane on the way back, and apparently like nothing terrible happened. So I think Gus Bradley is generally liked, everyone likes him, but he is not good at coaching football teams, and unfortunately that is probably a prerequisite for being an NFL coach. I don't know, Chip um, Kelly seems to differ. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, they, well, they finally get to their sense. It's just that time of year, I don't know, maybe a collective smog is just raised from the collective decision makers of the NFL. One interesting, you know, one that's in the ether is obviously Tom Coughlin, former Jacksonville mm-hmm. coach himself, made his name there. Uh, be nice, it'd be interesting to see an old Tom coming in, you know, hating on whatever the latest technological or health fad is. Like, oh, it's all about spitting the buckets and shit like that. Like, Shad Khan, to his credit, is a loyal owner. He does give you a chance. It was weird timing, to be honest, but I think at this point, you know, in terms of record, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think you can disagree with this. Yeah, like I think the timing was probably more to do with the, the game that we'll unfortunately have to... The game that must not be named, uh, that we'll have to talk about later. But uh, yeah, definitely just uh, time was up on that one. Um, we've already kind of gone over the next bit of news, which was uh, obviously Brock Osweiler being dropped for Tom Savage. Osweiler yeah, but we, we need sucks. to get the, 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 the statistics so you realise right. how bad he okay, is. Okay, okay. Well, well, look. Okay, so over the season, 59.6% completion. Like, that's bad. Not awful. But... 2,704 yards, 5.8 per attempt. That's bad. Like, that is bad. This is a guy with a deep threat offense with guys like DeAndre Hopkins, guys like Will Fuller, gadget players like Braxton Miller, who should be able to make huge plays in the way that we see Tyler Gabriel and Tyreek Hill doing, and just useless. Dump off to the tight end. Panic, panic, panic. Dump off to the tight end. It's all he could do. Hurt the run game as well because this team just had no threat through the air. 14 touchdowns, 16 interceptions. Just bad. $72 million? Like, what are Houston going to do with them? If, if, they're, if they're smart, they'll give him a chance to compete in camp next year. Like, they, not, they can't really drop him. Can't really trade him. Like, unless he turns into a toxic thing in the locker room, which I've never... Like, he's just generic. He'll just sit there. It's like, uh It wasn't a sad mistake, but I don't think anyone's like, oh my God, he's like ruining things. He's just a guy... 
just out of his depth a bit. So I think people just like, you know, take pity on him more than anything else. Yeah, he caught a bit of, uh, a bit of flack from the media there. He's, he's asked what the situation was. This is obviously now we know Tom Savage will start next week. But before yeah. that was announced, they I were interviewing play, him and said, yeah, exactly, if I start, I start. And uh, people kind of pounced on that. But I look... I mean, that's probably kicking a man when he's down, really, isn't it? Yeah, and like you know, I'm sure we'll get to talk more about Tom Savage uh, in, in the preview. But you know, based on what we saw in that game, there's no reason, and based on what we've seen in the season, there's no reason to believe that Tom Savage can be any worse than him. The fact that he passes New Hopkins, that's enough qualification <laughs> by itself. That's true. That is that is true. So you know, maybe 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 Savage will. Uh, he was drafted as kind of a project player, so maybe we'll see coming a bit better as the time goes on. Uh, but we'll have to see when he plays a non-Jacksonville team to really make any kind of assessment there. We had a little bit of stories about some uh, unhappiness. Should we say some discontent with a couple of teams? Uh, Denver, being Denver, being the team that they are, uh, decided to have a fight after the game uh, with themselves. Defensive back because no linemen were were going at each other, and Kubiak had to come over and calm it all down. Uh, obviously, I think a sense of frustration that this te- team probably feels like it should be better than it is. Uh, the O-line in particular has been very, very poor this year. And the defense has been carrying the offense very, very noticeably, but doesn't quite seem as good as it was beforehand that it could actually do that and bring them all the way to a championship. Is there anything to, to read into this, Ronan? Or is this just, you know, this is just frustration after a loss to a team that they really don't like losing to? Yeah, like, I think like if you're losing, these kind of things happen. And I think, you know, if you're a defensive player in that team... You're rightly frustrated. I think the sequence of events, like Kubiak's like, you know, does anyone want to speak up after the loss? I think Russell Okung, their left tackle, uh, was like, uh, me. And then Akeem Dalib's like, fuck that guy, like, because Akeem Dalib, yeah. of course. They're shit. Like, why the fuck did they get to talk? We should talk. Keep the lead. Fucking um, Captain Insano right there. He probably talks himself in the, like, in the third person or something. <laughs> I don't know. I could definitely understand why this is happening. But, like, Denver kind of, like, viewed themselves kind of like the Seahawks or other teams like that where like oh we're full of passion we're always like jabbing at each other uh, and you know they've won a Super Bowl so they have their bonus days. if they continue to lose I'm sure there'll be some bad blood but you know if they win then everything will be forgiven absolutely and nobody got poked in the eye which we have to really consider a victory oh, do you TJ Ward's tackle in inverted commas on Julian Edelman where he suplexed him and then as he was being flagged walked off flexing like he'd done something good as opposed to give up 15 yards from this or this is not someone had like someone had poked him in like the brain basically. Yeah, this this is <laughs> this is a, a very talented but perhaps not that uh, shall we say emotionally stable uh, bunch of players. No. So there was also a, a little incident. We saw Mark Ingram get really really angry that uh, Tim Hightower was given the goal line carries in the Carolina sorry in the New Orleans uh, Arizona game. Uh, it turns out there was a good reason for that. He's one touchdown away from activating a relatively substantial bonus. Two weeks to go, so you figure he'll probably get it at some point. But you can kind of you can kind of understand that there. But I think that's sort of one of those storm in a teacup, Des Bryant yelling on the sideline type things. Just a guy who you know got a bit caught up in the moment. And uh, obviously, look, I mean, he wants to succeed. He wants to score touchdowns. He wants to make money. That's what people are there to do. I don't think we can really hold anything against him on that one. There was a controversy in uh, with the Giants. Now, there's a couple. They almost had the Flategate controversy with them uh, a couple of weeks ago. Fortunately, we didn't. And now we've had some issue with communication with the with the walkie-talkies. What's going on with this one, Ronan? Apparently, walkie-talkies are illegal in the NFL. Maybe if they were sponsored by Microsoft, they wouldn't be. But Microsoft apparently don't make walkie-talkies. So <laughs> they're illegal. And, and, and they work. So obviously, that's the other reason they're probably illegal as well. It, it's a kind of nothing controversy like... If it was the playoffs and it was the New England Patriots, I'm sure we'd be hearing all about it. But because it was the New York Giants and it was in a you know, somewhat consequential game, but it was like it's the Giants, not the Patriots, so no one really cares. They'll get a fine, almost certainly, but I doubt it'll go any further than that. Yeah, so that's it. New York Giants are going to be fined and Tom Brady will be suspended for four games, the usual. It's, it's also um, with Ben McAdoo is from the 80s. 
So yes, it's true. Man, this is amazing tech. <laughs> doesn't doesn't believe in headsets. That's it. That's it. We usually have an injury roundup, but like not to be cruel or callous. We don't care. Uh, nobody important got injured at the moment, which we're glad about. Some people did get injured. That's sad for them, but we really don't need to rehash that um, for you guys. You know, if one of your team's players got injured, that sucks for them. Look it up. I'm sure there's lots of articles about it. You know, we, we don't have time to cover all of them. I think probably the most significant one is Shane Vereen going to IR, but Shane Vereen was a very insignificant part of that Giants offense this season. Uh, hasn't really performed for them since coming over from New England, to be completely honest. So obviously sucks for him, but probably not going to have a huge amount of impact on a, a Giants team that seems to have found a little bit of life in the running game uh, between Rashad Jennings and Paul Perkins in recent times. So that's the news. And now we're going to move on to the games from last week. So first up in the Ring of Honor, we've got the Tennessee Titans at the Kansas City Chiefs. A 19-17 victory for Tennessee. Pretty big upset. It's always weird when you're like, oh, Ring of Honor game. And it's like, oh yeah, you know, there weren't that much. less than 40 points scored between the teams. But this was, this was the kind of game that you have to appreciate. This is like the kind of game Connor would have appreciated. It's actually a shame he isn't here to discuss as much as we uh, don't miss him going on about the Chiefs all the time. This is a physical, rugged game. Two defenses that played really, really, really well and made it actually I think quite, a, quite a fun game of football, I'd say. There are some lots of, lots of very strange things, particularly at the end, which we'll come to in a moment. You know, Ron, like, I'm, I'm just looking back at this and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm worried about that Chiefs offense. Is this now like a big play offense? Reliant on those big runs, trick plays with Tyreek Hill big deep shot to Macklin is struggling to like control the ball yeah it's kind of weird because obviously the KC offense their bread and butter is supposed to be that kind of you know west coast type offense but they've kind of moved away from that like the run game hasn't it isn't bad but it hasn't been effective perhaps it has been in previous years with Jamal Charles and the short game like Travis Kelsey's having a great year but otherwise like Jerry Macklin's been in and out like Chris Connolly, he's a guy. And their best receiver this year is probably Tyreek Hill, who is, as you say, he's a he's a big play player. Like he, he'll show up with like one or two big plays per game, but you can't rely on uh, you know in the short game to be like a slot receiver or that kind of situation. Like K- Casey this entire year, like you live by the sword, you die by the sword. How many games we've had this year where Casey won it in extraordinary circumstances, like a pick two to win a game, like defensive uh, pick sixes going back late in games, say in the Carolina game. They've played gave everything close. They've had all these crazy games. And finally, uh, you know, the, 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 the kind of chickens come home to roost. Yeah, it, so. does, it does come back to bite them. And I mean, you can, only, you can only ride your luck so many times in these things. I think obviously Detroit found out to their detriment uh, this week as well. But like you say, definitely a, a, a change of philosophy and possibly not for the better. And part of that might be, I think, to the struggles in the run game. Uh, this team was obviously very confident in, in where and West going into the season. I don't know if they've necessarily repaid that particularly Chuck Hendrick West has all been invisible, but Spencer Ware has struggled as well. And the team does miss having a guy like Jamal Charles to kind of be able to control the game. It is quite weird. Like, you see, Alex Smith throws a pick. This team seems to struggle. Like, they, they are not a team that can really... Once they, once they sort of give points to the other team, they are not regularly enough able to put up points to overcome it. And, like, Smith had a bad game today. He's 15-28, 163 yards, no touchdowns, and a pick. And it was a bad pick. He, he stared down a receiver. It was a bad pick in the end zone. Is there any reason for this beyond the struggles in the run game? Like, is there anything going on here that we're missing with Kansas City? He's one of those quarterbacks that's going to frustrate you. He's one of those quarterbacks that, like, every once in a while he'll go on a hot streak. I think his biggest problem right now is not being efficient because he doesn't have the pieces to be efficient. And I think when he, when he feels he can't play the Alex Smith game, which is, like five-yard passes, like handing it off for running back for like three-yard, four-yard gains. He's not suited to that. 
with, with, with some exceptions, like I think to that, like uh, when he was in San Francisco, the New Orleans playoff game he was in. Mm. So, like, yeah, it, it, it kind of seems he's a little bit off. That the entire team on offense has been a little off, and they've been kind of leaning on that defense. Like to be fair, in this in this case, we didn't really get see them get a chance to come back, as it were. They thought they'd won the game. So I think in this case it comes down to a little bit that the defense. So, but yeah, but there's kind of a sense that they they do lean on their defense a little bit too hard, similar to Denver, uh, and that the offense really only does as much as it needs to. Like until it has to do something, it doesn't do something. Absolutely, yeah, I've got a Eric Berry had another incredible game. Like I think he's yeah. at this point like a sneaky defensive player of the year candidate, very under the radar. But he's he's had an incredible season, and he he continued it today. He was far and away uh, probably the best defensive player on the field. Let's be honest, if not the best player on the field overall, given how the offense struggled. In terms of Tennessee, briefly, I mean, didn't see that much new from them. Struggled against the tough defense, like we knew they would. We're good against the run, like we knew they'd be. We're surprisingly good against the pass, but I think, like you said, I've got to put that on Kansas City more so, perhaps, than credit to Tennessee there. The one bright spark there, Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry, I think this was a little bit of one of those games where he really showed what he can do. You know, he averaged yeah. over six yards a carry and had two two touchdowns. It was very impressive. They've really worked to Marco Murray. You're almost seeming like a fresh running back, high-quality running back in near the end of the season. Maybe he's finally picked up the, the playbook enough that the coaches trust him. Like, that's such a massive boost to a team which relies on that run game to make those yards and make Mariota have easy situations. We saw in the first half that Mariota, he's very efficient in the red zone, but in the rest of the field he can still make the occasional mistake. He is still only a second-year player uh, coming out of, kind of a spread offense, not totally comfortable with like, the NFL-type speed and with the NFL-type offense. Like, I think if Derrick Henry can be brought on, that's huge. Just a little shout-out to the Tennessee defense as well. Like they needed to show up, they did things in this thing. I think the back end they were okay, but I think up front is where they're showing the real pressure. Mm-hmm. Derek Morgan, uh, Arakpo, they're having great seasons. So you know, I think that Tennessee uh, front is probably one of those underrated units, which is really helping them along with the run game push Tennessee to being a real contender in the playoffs and perhaps even go even a little bit further than we might expect. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. This is Tennessee's strength. It's, it's, it's a unit like Arakpo is a guy who he he's been around for a long time and he's probably on the downside. Um, yeah, cool name though, more, as well. yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But it, it's guys who are quietly effective. Guys like Jarrell Casey, uh, Avery Williamson, Spence, guys like that who have just been, you know, not to use that <laughs> Belichick cliche, but have been doing their job just really, really well and just making it really tough for other teams to establish um, their their game against Tennessee. All right, look, we've just been fluffing now. Let's talk about the ending to that game because that was fucking nuts, right? <laughs> so, in brief. Tennessee go for two points for no discernible reason when a extra point would tie the game. Kansas City then get the ball back, point up to win. Have to get a first down. Fail. So Andy Reid clock management once again coming back to bite them. And then just, yeah, clutch drive from Mariota, to be honest with you. Big plays from uh, the likes of Richard Matthews in there, who's having a good season so far. And then they bring on Ryan Suckup, their kicker, for a long field goal. And Ryan Suckup is not known as a big-legged player. He misses the first one, but is iced, and then nails the second one. So just a complete clusterfuck for Kansas City at the end of the game. Like, Ronan, how does a team with the defensive talent and, like, let's be honest, well, not the most defensively talented team, a team that is sort of has been efficient when it's needed to be on offense, mostly, how does this happen? Andy Reid has a lot of great qualities. He's a very good coach. He, he's well-liked. Uh, he game plans well. But his game management, in-game management is atrocious he is so bad at closing out games at doing what's needed to like win these games that are like fractions away they did the same conservative boring offense gave the ball back and like they've been handed the game by Mark Malarkey like Mike Malarkey equally bad going for two on that last play but he gets away with it 
and then icing the kicker. Like, just don't ice the kicker. Like, you're an idiot, Andy Reid. Like, just just stop, Andy Reid. Just just give those those decisions to someone else. Have someone up in the control room tell you what to do. Like, go A, B, C. Like, don't be an idiot, Andy. Like, yeah, he's just really bad at this. We've all always known it. It's kind of cute. It's like Paul's goals, like trying to break people's legs in soccer. <laughs> just one of those things you just have to accept. To go with the good, it's just yeah. Andy Reid, that, that's always the worry. And I'm sure Connor feels very much the same. It's like all these great things about Andy Reid, but it's just that little bit on top that you're like, God damn it, Andy! <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Oh, frustration for Kansas City and a big, big missed opportunity. But uh, Tennessee taking taking full advantage there, despite their own best efforts. To pick. Like Jack Del Rio does it, and everyone wants to be Jack Del Rio. That's the only theory I have, except that was done literally as time expired when his quarterback was injured, so at least it kind of made sense. This didn't. You know, it worked out Tennessee in the end uh, through no real doing of their own staff, so credit to the players for uh, for getting it done at the end there. So, we'll move on to the neutral zone, and from a low-scoring game that was in many ways an incredibly effective show of defense, to a game where the defense has just decided not to bother showing up. New Orleans and Arizona, 48-41. to Both these teams uh, posted more points than Tennessee and Kansas City combined. The Saints won in the end in... Like, this was just a fun game. It wasn't a game with any consequences. I think Arizona were actually eliminated before the kickoff. New Orleans basically eliminated, although not quite. This was just a showcase for the offensive talent... And in many ways, I think the wasted potential from New Orleans, this is what Drew Brees can do when he's given time. Drew Brees was insane against the Blitz. He, I think he can do like 75% of his passes against the Blitz, which is what you want to do when you're being like playing Arizona, who Blitz all the time. It was fantastic. And it was a reminder as to why he is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And credit to guys like Brandon Cooks, when he feels like it, he's on it, isn't he? And like, so yeah. here's my, my question coming out of this. And this is just a slightly sidetrack one. But think about it, like, how much longer can Breeze stick around in New Orleans achieving being held back by the team? He's not a young man anymore. As long as Sean Payton is there, I think he will stick with New Orleans. And like, to be fair to New Orleans, they're putting some pieces on defense. I think that defense actually has a bit of potential to make it like a, like a leap forward next season. But in terms of how long Drew Breeze himself could do being an awesome quarterback, Tom Brady exists. Therefore, Drew Breeze can also Tom Brady. So why not? Like these guys... There's, like they're taking care of themselves. They're doing everything they need to do. They're so goddamn intelligent. They're so they've done this for so long. Like Peyton Manning, like don't forget his neck snapped in half. I can kind of understand why he may have had issues keep going for a long while. Neither of these players in the recent past have had issues like that. So there's no reason that they can't keep playing. I think New I think New Orleans has given so much to Drew Brees. They gave him a chance. Obviously, when a lot of teams would have gave up on him, and he got them a Super Bowl. I think he loves the city, even though he loves having money as well. Uh, and they pay him quite well to be <laughs> the quarterback. And I think as long as Sean Bateman is there, he'll be there, and they'll continue to be this ridiculous team. If the defense actually sets up next season, this is a real contender. You can't count them out. Like, imagine if this game was actually relevant. It would have been, like, the fucking game of the week, oh, yeah. like, times 20. But unfortunately, it didn't matter. Uh, so if, if when the Pro Bowl comes along, you could probably put on a repeat of this game, and you'd probably get the same effect. New Orleans, going forward, they've got at least a couple more seasons out of Drew Brees, I think. And if that defense comes together, they've got hope. For the future. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's an element there. I'm not sure I agree with you necessarily about the people on defense. I mean, obviously, like Cameron Jordan is an incredible player, and like Delvin Bro is a relatively promising cornerback. But they've got so many questions. I think from the secondary and the linebacking core 
but they don't need to do anything with the offense, so they could really just focus the entire draft capital on they, the they, they can, but you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's a tricky one, especially, especially with, you know, when you're drafting, hit and miss, and of course cap numbers mean that, with Breeze in particular, means free agency can be a little tricky for a team like this. Maybe we'll see something. They, like, I mean, going from Rob Ryan to Dennis Allen was probably a marginal step up, but I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the answer there. But we'll see. Like, bear in mind, before we can talk about this, this team did give up 41 points to an Arizona team that has been atrocious on offense at times this season. And we'll, we'll talk about that, I think, a, a bit now, because this was perhaps a show as to what might have been from Arizona. Like, when suddenly when the pressure's off, when this team just doesn't have to give a fuck, they... And yes, they do lose the game because their defense decided to stop playing halfway through. They... Turned it out here. Palmer looked still not fantastic. Probably played as well as we've seen him play this season. But we saw so much more inventiveness. Like the Kerwin Williams touchdown. David Johnson, while his numbers weren't spectacular, had a very, very solid game. Even when he's not on 100%, he's still a guy you can build a game round. And we just saw how many options they have in the passing game. Between Johnson himself, Brown, Fitzgerald, even guys like J.J. Nelson and Jermaine Gresham getting involved there. Like It must just be so frustrating being a Cardinals fan to watch a game like this aside from losing in the shootout, but seeing, like, where was this offense all season long? I don't know. Like, it probably helps to playing New Orleans, because as I said, the defense, like, they have some improvements, but they're definitely still vulnerable, particularly on the back end. Carson Palmer is just off. Like, even in this game where he looked really good, he still looked a little bit... Something has happened to this team mm-hmm. in the latter half of last season, and it seemed to sap their confidence... With the exception of David Johnson, who just went god mode. But, like, could you imagine how many wins this team would have if David Johnson had got injured in the first game? Oh, yeah. Like, they might be, like, they might be in, like, San Francisco levels of ineptitude. Or, like, at least LA levels of ineptitude in this division. And the NFC West may have been even more one-sided. David Johnson has carried that offense. And even when Carson Palmer showed up there, they still need David Johnson to have over scrimmage yards and score those touchdowns. Like, you could lean on Larry Fitz all you want, but, like, Larry Fitz, he's an older player and he has dropped off towards of both this season and last season. So can he really play a full 16 and obviously even more if you want playoff aspiration games per season? And while they have these young, explosive playmakers like J.J. Nelson, like John Brand, they're not reliable. They're not kind of players you're like, I can rely. Like, they're good two, three options, but they're, they're kind of streaky. Like, John Brand, we know, has a medical issue, uh, sickle cell syndrome. Uh, and J.J. Nelson, like, he's looked good in games, but he's also disappeared in games. So the whole problem with his offense is that with the exception of David Johnson, they're just way too inconsistent. And I suppose the main reason the Carson Palmer looked okay in this game is that the protection from the O-line was adequate. And that's probably been the biggest problem on the offense as well. Everything else is inconsistent, but the O-line has been consistent in being terrible as well. And Carson Palmer doesn't look like a quarterback who's comfortable with pressure right now. And that's what he needed to do this year if he really wanted to step up. You can blame it someone on the O-line, but there are general worries about like Carson Palmer is he a franchise quarterback anymore, or should they be considering the draft uh, this year? Yeah, no, absolutely true. And you, you do think the age of that team is going to be an issue. Also, JJ, every time JJ Nelson plays a game, it doesn't die. Like that guy literally weighs 150 pounds. I don't understand how he's alive. And fair play to him; it's amazing. But like, <laughs> I, 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 I'm scared. like every time he gets his hand, the ball in his hands, I'm scared. I'm just scared some linebacker is just going to go out there and, and just just end him, end him. But uh, you know, as long as we can keep going. On to the dumpster fire, uh, a game we have to talk about because of implications. Not a game we want to talk about, but a game that had implications in the playoff race and also has you know, resulted in a benching and a firing that we've already talked about. Like, a game is bad when one team's coach gets fired and the other team's starting quarterback gets benched. This was a weird game. This is a bad game. Both teams looked 
inept on offense without ever making the other team look particularly good on defense. There were some solid performance from from the Texans defenders, individuals in fairness, like uh, Whitney Merciless, Jadavian Clowney, as we expect, Benedict McKinney, who's had a very good season uh, quite quietly in there. But it, it was just awful. Both teams converted less than a third of their first downs. Blake Bortle had less than 100 yard passing. Brock Osweiler was an embarrassment. And Jacksonville pissed it away. Uh, they should have won this game, and then they lost as a result of a load of safeties and field goals before finally giving up a game, losing touchdown. The safety was, oh, it was remarkable. Um, holding in the end zone on a punt, and initially when the flag came, I thought it was roughing the uh, roughing the kicker because the kicker yeah. was lying on the ground in a crumpled heap. Turns out he was taken out by his own player. Like, <laughs> Jacksonville is coming up with new and exciting ways to fail at football. And then, of course... As it was written, as it has always been written, as it will always be told, Blake Bortles got the ball back with one last chance to win the game and immediately threw an interception because Blake Bortles, that's what he does. We discussed Houston's playoff chances. We discussed uh, the the, the change at quarterback. Let's focus for a second on the Jaguars. Obviously, the coach is gone. Uh, It's clear that the rebuild hasn't happened. They do have some talented pieces. Like uh, J.J. Jalen Ramsey had quite a good game, but problems all over the place. Is Blake Bortles the biggest problem for this team? Because it's starting to look like it. Yeah, like, there's perhaps a player who hasn't had a worse regression this year than Blake Bortles, uh, or of any significant player anyway. Like, last year, like, like everyone was like, oh, Blake Bortles, he's probably as good or in the same ballpark as Derek Carr. But this year, he's had such a massive regression. His fundamentals as a quarterback look all off. All the experts say he, he you know, he, he has an erratic throwing motion that he worked on and improved last year, but this year has been complete regression to the old ways, to the old sloppiness. He said, oh, I don't need to go back to quarterback, like coaching or anything like that last offseason. Damn it, Blake Bortles, you did, and now look at you, you fucking useless piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> because we saw that when he was somewhat effective, when he had presumably cared last season, they do have pieces on that offense. They have Alan Robinson. Marquise Lee has actually looked pretty good this year. And, you know, like the running back, like TJ Yeldon and Chris Ivory, they're not exactly great running backs, but you, you could potentially build at least a decent offense off the back of them. And the defense, how surprising, as you say, has, has pieces there, Malik Jackson, Jalen Ramsey. And the defense has, not, has actually shown some backbone. If you combine the offense of last season with the defense of this season, you may actually have a team that can at least compete in the AFC South. So maybe the new coach can do that. But... Probably not with Blake Bortles because he does not look good. Maybe maybe it's a case of like a, a change of coaching regime might be the sort of thing that gives him a bit less rope and uh, sort of makes him make the adjustments that he yeah. needs to. But you do worry about running out. Like when Tom you... Coughlin hitting him with a cane <laughs> yeah. over and over again. I, I, I'm always worried about just Tom Coughlin like, because he. I just don't know. Like He'll just be there. Yeah, back in my day, we used put rocks in the jugs machine and tried to catch those. And then he wonders why his entire team is out injured for all season because his medical application for concussion is leeches. Yeah, but it, it is a problem when like your your quarterback is putting up like the same kind of yards per attempt average that got Blaine Gabbert sent to San Francisco. So maybe Blake Bortles to San Francisco. There you go. You heard it here first, guys. So yeah, like I think we covered off pretty much anything about about Houston. Uh, is there anything else outstanding there? I think that's. I think we've, no, we've I hit think all the main points there. The, the defense showed up when it needed to. I think Houston's defense continues to be a good defense. Whitney Merciless, Jadavian County, these are all having good 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 season. So you know, Houston's defense. Still good, even without J.J. Watt. So we'll see how there are next year with J.J. Okay, I think that's enough AFC South for, well, until we have to do the game picks. But that's enough AFC (laughs) South for now. Uh, So we'll move on to our picks for the games for next week. We would normally throw in a listener question here, but to be honest, 
we had so much stuff to talk about with the playoffs and so on that uh, we don't really have time. So we will kick that to next week, maybe try and take uh, a couple more, because I know we've been not up to snuff on those, but uh, we, we'll cross the bridge when we come to it. We'll just um, we'll go through these. Uh, some of these matter. Some of these really, really don't matter. And some of them matter maybe a little bit. I think we'll reflect that in how uh, in how we talk through. Connor isn't here, so he can't defend himself. So if he's ever out on his own, we'll just mock him ruthlessly and move on. But we'll start with the Thursday night game, I think. Or no, wait, something weird's happening because of Christmas. I think this is a Thursday night game. I'm not sure. I'm never 100% yeah. on the schedule. I got caught out. I completely missed the Saturday game last week. I didn't realize it was on Saturday. Yeah, but I didn't miss much. <laughs> uh, sorry. Sure, this week we get... On Christmas Day, Thursday night football, Sunday edition, because God is dead. So, <laughs> onto the game that... I, Capitalism wins. Onto a game that may or may not be happening on Thursday, but probably is. Uh, the New York Giants at the Philadelphia Eagles. We've gone for the Giants across the board. Fitz? Giants are a good team. Philly are not. Expect that makeshift Philly O-line to be absolutely obliterated by that D-line. Uh, don't expect this to be a close game. Uh, Atlanta, Carolina, we've all gone for Atlanta. I think the reason for this is, look, Carolina have shown a bit of fight down the stretch this season, but overall have been a somewhat messy team, particularly on defense. Atlanta are still a really, really hot offense. They now know that they've got the Bucks breathing down their necks, and uh, they should be able to to win this one, although Carolina's always a tough one to play at. Then Miami at Buffalo. Uh, we've all gone for Miami. Yeah, like this could be a close game, but I think a recurring theme this year for Buffalo is that they flatter to deceive. That when they need the de- the defense to show up, they don't. When the offense needs to show up, Shady usually shows up, but everyone else doesn't. Even though, like I think Buffalo are a decent team, and they technically do have playoff hopes if they beat Miami, it's kind of hard to look beyond Miami team. It just looks more complete and looks more hungry. I think that D the defense for Miami in particular will show enough gumption and enough backbone in this game to shut down the run game for Buffalo. And without the run game, the offense looks really tepid. Um, so we give it to Miami, even though this could be close. Yeah, I think I think it's very telling that Matt Moore hasn't been a huge step down from Ryan Tannehill. So make of that one, yeah. you will, Dolphins <laughs> fans. It's not good. Washington at Chicago. We have our first disagreement on this. A game that kind of technically matters, but doesn't really. Connor and Roden have gone for Washington. Uh, I, in a desperate attempt to catch back up in the picks, have gone for Chicago. So, Ronan, do you want to tell me why you have made the same choice of the Mazungus? Like, on paper, Washington should dominate this game. They have an offense that is, you know, effective. It's put up lots of points. They had a disappointing game against Carolina, but otherwise have been pretty good, generally. The offense should be enough in this game, and the defense has been, at times, good. Chicago, Matt Barkley has been surprisingly good. The defense has been surprisingly good. But you kind of feel Chicago... Like, you you can never pick for Chicago, even though they're kind of... It's kind of like... Every bad team has those moments where you're like, oh, they're showing a little bit of form, but then they still somehow contrive to lose a game, so give it to Washington. Yeah, for me, you know, I think it's, I think it's a Chicago team and just, I don't give a fuck mode. And not only Jay Cutler, I'm going to walk on a smoke on the sidelines, don't give a fuck mode. This is a bunch of guys who are like, hey, we're not gonna, probably not going to be here next year. Uh, we got to put in the show. <laughs> and I think that's what we're seeing. I think we're seeing guys like, like Matt Barkley kind of, I wouldn't say ball out objectively, but by Matt Barkley's standards, ball the fuck out. Because this is an audition either to, you know, get an improved contract or possibly find himself somewhere else. Uh, a, a potential basically to make more of his career and I think there's a lot of players looking that way Pernell McPhee on the defense has been a beast over the last few weeks really really uh, looking forward to seeing him play now on a regular basis which I don't say about many Chicago players I'm particularly watching his run game being a little bit scrappy and inconsistent recently that should be an interesting one to watch how he plays up front and for me the big X factor here is Jordan Howard incredible like this guy's numbers if you actually he's been he's sort of flown to the radar a little bit I think people would appreciate how good he is but if you look at his numbers, considering this guy didn't start this season, but he hasn't been significantly worse than guys like genuine, like guys like Ziggy Elliott. Like this guy 
is an every down back who can do everything. He's been playing out of his mind. He's pretty much matchup proof in terms in terms of what he can produce. And against the Washington team that, you know, really hasn't looked good against the run game in the last little while, that could really just be a, a deciding factor for Chicago and they just pound the ball on them. New York Jets at New England. Uh, we've gone for New England across the yeah. Look, we've gone for New England across the board. Why? New England are good. New York Jets are not good. They always play us close, but this season they've the thing that could always let them maybe take some of those close games was that defense. And now, like guys like Darrell Revis and Mo Robson just don't give a fuck anymore. So yeah, it should be pretty handy for New England. San Diego at Cleveland. Um, we've all gone for San Diego. <laughs> I notice I misunderstood the rankings that were given to these games, and I thought this was ranked as the most important game of the week. <laughs> Turns out, three is bad, not good. <laughs> Ronan, why will San Diego triumph in this clearly very important game? Well, New England are, are the best, but Cleveland are the worst. <laughs> and, you know, San Diego, they're, they're fine. Like They're, they're mediocre. They, they've done some things good. They've done some things bad. But Cleveland are trashed here, and they're playing or G3, and they're talking about possibly pulling him for Cody Kessler if he underperforms. That that tells you enough by itself. San Diego are going to win this game. Yeah, sad times in the in the factory of sadness, which is uh, everyone's been working overtime down there to get this amount of sadness out there. Tennessee at Jacksonville. We've all gone for Tennessee on this one. Tennessee looked like a pretty solid team who are capable of winning games. Good defense. Jacksonville looked like a bad team. We don't know what they're doing. Uh, the coaching change might instill some backbone, but it's always hard to tell in that first week which way that's going to go. And at the moment, based on the way they've been playing and based on the uh, squandering of talent that we're seeing on that roster, you really kind of have to favor Tennessee to take that one. Uh, Minnesota at Green Bay, a game that actually genuinely really does matter quite a lot. Uh, we've all gone for Green Bay on this one. Ronan? Yeah, like, you know, Minnesota's defense, which is supposed to be their only real strength, got absolutely eviscerated by Andrew Luck. Aaron Rodgers is like, better Andrew Luck. So you would imagine that Aaron Rodgers will double eviscerate them, whatever the hell that means, like 56 points, even with a gimpy leg. It obviously it didn't harm him in like the Tundra. Minnesota are now a dome team and therefore soft. Even though it's a very important game, it would be very hard to come up with any reason that you believe Minnesota could win it. They just looked so dejected last week. If the defense steps up, maybe, but now that the Green Bay offense line actually looks good with their injuries, like with their injured players coming back, now that the Green Bay secondary looks good, there's just no reason to believe Minnesota has a chance in this game. Pretty much agree with you entirely on that one. Indianapolis at Oakland. We've gone for Oakland across the board here. This could be an interesting game, could be a fun game, but there's still, I think, too many questions about that Indianapolis team, even with Oakland being somewhat reduced with the injuries they've suffered and with having to modify their game plan around them. Uh, there's still too many questions in Indy about the pass protection. There's still too many questions about the uh, defensive backfield. There's now increasing questions about the linebackers. This is a team that can, on its day, beat pretty much anyone, but is having less and less of those days, whereas Oakland have been solid. They've been consistent. They've won big games. They've won tight games. And you feel like, at home, they should be able to take on and take out uh, Indianapolis here. So, moving on then. Tampa Bay at New Orleans. Once again, across the board, unanimous for Tampa Bay. Ronan? Yeah, like, New Orleans, you know, they had a very good game last week, but it's only a couple of weeks ago, or a few weeks ago, that uh, Tampa Bay basically spanked New Orleans and kind of showed, oh, a good defense, okay, what do you do now, New Orleans? And then it's like, they fall over and die. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, pretty much. And, like, even, like, Tampa Bay, they had a good game against Dallas, like, like it wasn't a great, like, it wasn't perfect, obviously they lost, but I think the main thing that they lost to was the run game of Dallas. I think against the New Orleans run game of Tim Hightower and Mark Ingram, they should contain them and then be able to push and put pressure on Drew Brees. Like, maybe there's a kind of sense that Tampa Bay's, like, uh, mid-season renaissance there was a bit of falsity based on that Dallas game. But I'm going to believe what we saw before. Like, in that Dallas game, we saw a good team. And before that, we saw a really good defense. 
we'll trust in that we'll say to Tampa Bay the, as a more complete team should have it over New Orleans that's, that seems pretty much on, on the button uh, then a, another very sad game uh, <laughs> San Francisco at LA now we've got Run has taken LA Connor has got LA uh, with a question mark and I have taken San Francisco because I really need to pick some more games right so I have to wait to pick them wrong apparently uh, Ronan, do you want to tell us why LA will win this sad, sad California Bowl? Well, LA have on occasion been able to defend the run. That, that's always a positive. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, this week there's rumours that, that, that Sean Mannion might be called up to be the starter. Uh, really? In, in week 17, oh if not week 16. That's like, the offence isn't good, but San Francisco's run defence is so bad, I'm going to predict that Todd Gurley actually has a good game. Shocking, I know. But I think Todd Gurley will have a good game. He'll run all over them. And that will be enough to push the offense to score maybe like 17 points. And that might be enough in this game. <laughs> so this isn't going to be a good game. But it could actually end up being a bit of a fun game. Just due to ineptitude. It's very uh, yeah. derpy. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably a fair one. I, I do have a genuine reason for picking San Fran here. Um, which is that LA fired uh, Jeff Fisher and seemed to magically get worse somehow. Because the special teams coach is <laughs> not a head coach. Which is like... LA are just a disaster of a team, and I'm, I'm picking San Fran here because I, I actually don't have that faith in in, in uh, the offense in in LA. I think it's awful, and really, like San Fran have against teams that aren't that great at passing the ball, have been able to jam the box and make their run defense like below average as opposed to abject, which it is against teams that are able to threaten to pass on them. Uh, LA aren't that team. Like Kenny Britt's okay. Everyone else is terrible. Their quarterbacks are all terrible. If they start, start Sean Mannion, I don't even know what to say. That says, like, just pointless, but okay, sure, go for it. Have three quarterbacks. I don't know. San Fran, I have equally very, very little faith in them, but I think that, like, if you take all the players on the pitch, Carlos Hyde is the guy who's playing the best. And despite the fact that LA generally have a decent run defense, they're a team that just randomly crap the bed, as they did against San Fran uh, earlier in the season. And I think this could just be another one of those games where the team knows the season is over, doesn't really care. Has been we've seen losing the head a bit recently, and yeah, I think San Fran might be able to to sneak this one in front of what will doubtlessly be an empty stadium. <laughs> Moving it's on, full of Oakland fans. <laughs> <laughs> It's like that would the be, big screen, the Oakland game, great view, you know? That would actually be the <laughs> ultimate troll job if just, like, Oakland fans bought out the Coliseum. For the, I'd love that. I would fucking love that. That would be amazing. They are playing at home, sadly, so it's not going to happen. Uh, maybe we'll find all the San Diego fans who've gone missing. Get a nice preview of LA, you know? <laughs> exactly, well, exactly. <laughs> so the next game, then, uh, Arizona against your boys, the Seattle Seahawks. We've gone for Seattle across the board. Run yeah, like, like I don't think you ever count Arizona out. They still have enough talent that they, they still could pull an upset here. But Seattle are at home, and Seattle at home are undefeated and tend to like up their game. Away from home, they've been very fishy. But I think at home, Seattle are very good, and Arizona, like it's Christmas Eve. Like it's Christmas, like imagine you're a Christmas Eve player, you've nothing to play for, and you get a team that isn't very fun to play against. If Seattle gets an early lead, I imagine Arizona will give up quite early as well. Similar to what we saw in Week 17 last year when they already had their like their playoff stuff done and ended up busy packing home at halftime. So if Seattle gets an early lead, this will be a blowout. If not, it could turn out interesting, but I would still take Seattle in that case. Yeah, I think that's fair. Now, it's interesting because Arizona over the last few seasons has been one of the few teams who've actually played well uh, in, in the in the CenturyLink Stadium, but that was a very different Arizona Cardinals team to this year. Yeah, this could be a, a recovery game uh, for the Seahawks after... After a rough few weeks and then like beating the Rams, which doesn't really mean anything. So, on to the next game. Cincinnati at Houston. Now, we've got some disagreement here. Roden has said Cincinnati. Connor has said, controversially, Houston, Tom Savage, baby. 
And I've said Cincinnati, no TJ Yates, no chance. So <laughs> do we care enough about Houston to play devil's advocate for Connor? Because I, I don't think we do. I don't know. I like Tom Savage, but basically the same thing we've said like a couple of times. Basically, Tom Savage, he's willing to throw it to the receivers, and they're actually quite good. That might give them a chance. Uh, and the defense is still good. So, like, Houston are a solid team. But I think Cincinnati, for some reason, Cincinnati over the last month have just, or like the last few weeks, have been like, God, we're really angry about something. It's too late to win anything. Uh, I don't know. We're not the brand, basically. They're like really trying to prove they're not the brand. And I put up a series of impressive, like they nearly beat, uh, they nearly beat uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, they had a bit of a, a late, late, late collapse there, and they nearly, like they beat uh, Philly, I believe. So they, they've shown some gumption recently. And if AJ Green is back and they actually activate him, I think that might be the X factor in this game. So, like, like I can see why Connor saves Houston, and obviously they have more to play for. But despite the fact that Cincinnati don't have anything to play for, they just look more. They, they actually look more energetic. It's weird. Yeah, I've noticed that. It is strange. I'd, I'd be surprised if they activate Green because it just seems pointless risking him get hurt in, in a season that's lost. But you never know. You really never know. Some guys just want to play, and you can't keep them off the field. And AJ Green is definitely, I think, going to play if if, if he can. Is going to want to play anyway. But I agree with you. I think this is Cincinnati's game to lose rather than Houston's game to win. Next up then, uh, another couple of AFC North teams. Baltimore at Pittsburgh. Now, Connor's taken Pittsburgh, Ronan's taken Pittsburgh, and I have taken Baltimore. The reason I've taken this, and this is this is a, a slightly out there pick again for me, but you know I, I'm not unhappy with it because this Pittsburgh team has looked fragile recently. And while they will be a bit more up for it, while you know guys like James Harrison are going to go out and play 200% against the Ravens, this is a Ravens team that rolls over for nobody. It does not die. It is tough. It is physical. Generally speaking, is able to get enough done on offense to either win games or make games close and make teams play their way. This is a Pittsburgh team that has looked flakier than we've expected on offense, has been depleted a bit in the defense, and it's shown, although there are definitely definitely a lot of talent there. Now, they're going to be up for this, and it's unlikely that it's one they're going to necessarily drop out of, but this is a game where Baltimore can drag Pittsburgh into that kind of AFC North football, like you mentioned before, fight. And at the moment, I think Baltimore are a team that are more suited to playing that way than Pittsburgh are and will come out on top in that. That's not to say that Pittsburgh won't just start teeing off on them. If they do, there's no way Baltimore are going to be able to keep up. But what I see with this is being about this close, physical game, uh, all about strong defense, ball control. And I think right now Baltimore are doing those things a little bit better than Pittsburgh are and with a little more consistency than Pittsburgh are. And I think that for me is enough to give them uh, a slight edge in this contest. I obviously talked a lot about this game in the playoff permutations, but I suppose if it does come down to that game, the interesting thing to see will be if Pittsburgh's defense up for that. Like, James Harrison is definitely up for it, but it's the rest of that offense with a lot of young playmakers like Shazier, like Artie Burns. Are they up for that? And I think it's a defense that's kind of weird. It seems like on its day, this Pittsburgh defense is right up there with some of the best defenses they've had, but they're very inconsistent and they're very hard to get a read on. They like They, they don't very often seen that they don't have the same edge that those Polamalu and Harrison defenses had. We'll see if they show up here and they front up if it turns into that type of game. If it turns into a shootout, Pittsburgh are massive favourites. If it turns into a more closer game, the Pittsburgh defence definitely has the talent uh, to play in that type of game. It's just whether they have the character to. Then the last of the Christmas Eve games, uh, Denver at Kansas City. We have gone... Kansas City across the board on this one. Basically, Kansas City, for all their foibles, for all their problems, they look like a better team than Denver do right now. Denver look shook. Their offense has been very much figured out uh, for what it is, which is a series of marginal talents plus two wide receivers who are borderline useless because the quarterbacks can't get them the ball. 
don't have a short passing game, they don't have a run game, and they don't have a quarterback who can throw it deep. That's a recipe for disaster, and this defense can really only carry them so far. Kansas City have had their problems on offense, but their defense also looks very, very good. You'd imagine those defensive backs are going to feast on things if Simeon tries to get into any kind of shootout, because while he's solid, he's not at the level of being able to pick a defense like this apart right now. We just haven't seen enough from the run game to suggest that Denver will be able to outscore Kansas City even in the kind of physical grinding low scoring game we would expect this to be so expect Kansas City to pretty much uh, wrap this one up and then finally uh, Detroit at Dallas we've gone for Dallas across the board Uh, Ronan? Dallas are a better team Uh, like I think the Detroit defense has been better this year or has been pretty good this year the run defense is good but not great they've kind of been good in everything but not great in anything and unfortunately, if you want to stop Ezekiel Elliott, you need to be good. You need to be, like, really good. You need to have, like, the New York Giants have, like, you know, Snacks Harrison in there or something like that. So, like, if Ziggy Elliott gets going, which he has done in the vast majority of games this year, Dallas wins the game. And I think they will probably do enough of that, especially at home, to put away a Detroit team, which I think will be feisty, will definitely put up a lot of fight, and will probably still be there in the fourth quarter because that's what they do. But I think, like, a lot of games this year... Dallas will, will lean on Ziggy Elliott, will grind the game out, and then for you know in the fourth quarter he'll burst off a touchdown to, to salt away the game. So I think in that sense, like Dallas, uh, they're a better team overall. They just have more talent than they have Ziggy Elliott. I think that will tell against a, a Detroit team that is good but not great. Uh, so yeah, Dallas definitely uh, the favorite in this game. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. It should be a, a, a good game. Uh, a lot to like about both these teams, even if it might not be the most exciting. I think we're going to see some. We're going to see. I think a, it's one of the sort of good preview games. Give us an idea of where teams sit right on the cusp of the playoffs. So those are the picks for next week. Uh, you know, I found out something disturbing. What? You know, our friend Richard, who knows nothing about football. Yeah. He's in a pick'em league because, of course, he's in a pick'em league, right? He has a better record than any of us picking games, and he literally, as a Jets fan. Didn't know who Joe Namath was and, <laughs> until I told him. Like, so this, it, this is like the year we had a fantasy league where we literally had a filler team that was auto draft and just like I think pick avoided picking your injured players. I think. No, 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 it didn't. Won our fantasy league. It didn't. It didn't even sum up team players with buys or injuries. It just rolled with it and it it yeah. won. Fantasy football <laughs> is dumb and stupid, and we love it. Oh, it's definitely a skill game. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> this, this podcast. A lot of, lot of content in here. It's a lot like your, you'll feel after your Christmas dinner. Stuff to the gills, but uh, I think it's been interesting. Yeah, I think so. Uh, this is going to be a really good last two weeks. I think it was, there's a lot, to, a lot to like and a lot to look forward to. Uh, and hopefully we'll be stuffed full of exciting football by the time uh, the Christmas season is over. Absolutely. So, yeah, um, I guess we won't be talking to you guys again until, uh, until after Christmas. So, you know, guys, look, enjoy the holidays. Merry Christmas. Christmas. It's not the holidays, it's Christmas. I'm Jewish. Shut up. <laughs> I was getting to that. Enjoy the holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Uh, what's the, what do you say for Kwanzaa? Kwanzaa. Seems fantastic. Uh, look, whatever, whatever your, your, your non-denominational, I don't know. Look, it's a season for, that has cultural reasons as much as religious ones. It's time for, you know, family and friends. It's time to get the hell out of the office. Uh, kick up, enjoy yourself, watch some football, eat so much you get sick. It's one of the few times we have left in the year we're really sort of allowed to enjoy ourselves properly. So, look, I hope everybody who's listening, and everyone who isn't listening as well, has a really, really, really great Christmas season, except Nigel Farage, who I hope falls over into a puddle or something. Other than that, fuck that guy. He's a dick. But everyone else, look, happy holidays. Hit us up, you know, Facebook, Twitter, on the email, whatever you want. Get in touch. Hmm? <laughs> what? 
Pinterest. Fuck Pinterest. <laughs> Fuck Connor. That Pinterest joke that is so played out. We're done with Pinterest. Like there is no uh, Pinterest. We're setting up a Tumblr. We're setting up a Tumblr uh, to complain about uh, gender imbalance in the NFL or something. I don't know. Yeah, so take care, guys. All the best. This has been All Four Quarters. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from Ron. Goodbye and Merry Christmas. This has been All Four Quarters. Take care. Enjoy the holidays. Have a lovely one, folks. Bye.